Amen. Thank you, guys. All right. I'll put this right here. Well, good morning. If you've got a Bible, if you'll grab one, please. Turn to Romans chapter 15. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And as you're turning there, I do want to give a uh, shout-out, if you will, to uh, our decorating committee. Doesn't the sanctuary always look amazing this time of year? It's amazing. They always do a great job. So thank you for your work and your effort in making this place look amazing. Uh, I'm a pretty competitive person, but I, I mean, I'm not saying you should compete against other churches, but I think ours looks the best. I'm just going to throw it out there. So uh, <coughs> there you go. Romans chapter 15. Today's sermon is called The God of Hope. Uh, we are starting Advent. If you've never done Advent, or this is maybe if you're joining us for the first time, uh, Advent is an annual tradition where we celebrate the coming of Jesus. Advent means the coming or the arrival. Uh, and the Old Testament talks about they look forward to the anticipation of the Messiah to come. And we believe and we want to celebrate. We want to do two things. We want to look backwards and say, man, praise God that the Holy, uh, the, through, through the Holy Spirit and God himself that, that the Messiah has come. But we also want to look forward at the hope that he is going to come again. The hope of all mankind has come. He has arrived in the birth of Jesus, but he will come again. So what today is, is it, it, I have a kind of a little intro here. I want to talk about a couple of things before we stand and read our text. Um, but life gets pretty quick. This is my favorite time of year. Uh, coming right off of Christmas, I mean Thanksgiving and looking into Christmas, it's this, this in-between phase. People start putting up their lights, start decorating. I don't know about you, but, but Thanksgiving for us was kind of crazy. We, we had, you know, a little sick one and kind of getting over the things and just kind of traveling and going. But I don't know about you, but right about now moving through December, everybody's calendar is going gonna, gonna to fill up. I mean, it gets packed. Everything is going on. Something's taking place. And so I love this, and I say it all the time. I'm going to say it again when we stand and, and I pray. But we have this time and space carved out on purpose. So I'm just going to plug this again, that just fight for these Sunday mornings. Fight for this time where you get to come and be here and push everything aside for just a little bit in, in the chaos of life, and let's celebrate in this Advent season. But what, what is hope? As, as life goes fast and we look at this hope of the Messiah that has come, that he will come again, it's this beautiful tension, if you will, between the first and the second arrival. In the Old Testament, the word was this tension of expectation. In the New Testament, the, the word called elpis, which means anticipating all that's going to come in Christ. But let me, let me just say this. Sometimes I'm very guilty of doing this. I think of hope as optimism. I think of hope as it's going to be okay. Sometimes I can annoy the, the heck out of my wife. I can sometimes be a, well, maybe we can figure this thing. You know, it's going to be kind of a glass half full, which annoys everybody else who's not, you know. Like, you're like, really? Come on. Um, I'm, I'm, well, maybe this is going to be good. Maybe this is going to be okay. Maybe we're going to figure this thing out. But biblical hope is not optimistic. Like, hey, I think it's going to work out. We're going to get through this. It is a confident, confident expectation based on the character and the promises of God. It is not based on feelings. It is not based on our desires. It is not based on positive thoughts. It is based upon a person, and his name is Jesus. I don't want to let that be the plumb line for the rest of, of this whole series. I share a lot of uh, Paul Tripp quotes. He has an Advent devotional, and I want to share this because here's, here's some things from him before we read our text. Uh, I just want to set the tone for the day. Everybody's motivated by hope. Human beings are not like animals. We live moment by moment by instinct. No matter who we are or what we have experienced, we live by hope. Now catch this. He says, as I've studied the scriptures and counseled hopeless and hopeful people, I've concluded that there are three elements of hope. Now there's three things that I think are fantastic, and I just want to put them on the screen for you because this is what happens. This is so good for me. I need to hear this. Number one, hope begins with assessment. 
We assess life and we assess things and we assess, I'm going to see if that thing or that person or that thing is going to kind of pull through and bring me hope. Number two, he says that hope, it morphs into expectation that it's going to deliver. And number three, hope always, 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 always requires an object. Hope is like faith. It is only as strong as its object. If hope is in your health, when you get sick, what do you have? If hope is in money, when your money's not there, what do you have? We look to find hope in eternal things in Christ Jesus that will never be taken away. But what I love about Paul Tripp, before we read our text, is this. Look at what he says. He says this. He says, as Christians, we know that we should answer, Jesus Christ is our hope. Yes and amen. But if we can be honest, I like Tripp because he doesn't play around here. He goes, I, I don't always march to the beat of that drum. Anybody amen that? My assessments can be misguided. My expectations, selfish, and my objects can often be in things other than the Lord. Now, don't raise your hand, but is that anybody else? does that preach to anybody else? Because it does to me. I'm very guilty of trying to find hope in things that are going to be kind of good for me. I'm very guilty of placing hope and desires and things are good and I'm happy as, all, as long as all is going well in potentially placing my hope in anything other than Jesus. So today, uh, in Romans chapter 12, I'm going to ask you to stand. We'll read our text. Paul is going to unpack this for us. The sermon is called The God of All Hope. If you'll stand, Romans chapter 15, we're going to go 5 through, let's see, I'm going to make sure I didn't mess up, 5 through 13. I want you to read along with me. It'll be on the wall if you want to read along. There's a blue hardback one in front of you if you'd like to read that as well. This is Paul, Romans chapter 15. Fantastic text. Look at verse 5. <clears throat> May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ, so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with your people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to his name. Verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Take a deep breath for a minute. Relax. Um, this time is for you. If your heart's desire is to put it in a place where you can receive from him today, then ask him to, to teach you, to shape you, to mold you. Uh, I, I say it every week. I can't say anything verbally that's going to change anybody in the room. His spirit alone can do that. So if your desire is to be changed and challenged and shaped and molded, to be encouraged, ask him to do that. Ask your heart to be in a place or ask him to move in your heart, to put it in a place to receive what he has for you today. God, it's a joy to come in this place. 
I bet I'm not the only one whose assessment and expectations of hope can be misguided. I bet I'm not the only one in the room that, that, that maybe loves this season as we, this, this in-between Thanksgiving and looking to Christmas, and life is going to get pretty busy and pretty crazy. And as we commit to being in this place, in this space, in this time for the next few minutes, I pray that you would do something great. That somehow, some way, that you might supernaturally use the words that I speak today to bring change to the hearts of men. I can't do that. I can't speak loud enough. I can't preach hard enough. I can't do anything on this stage that's going to make hearts change. But you can. To those that are receptive, to those that desire it, maybe for those that are even maybe kind of pushing away a little bit, you can overcome and you can break through. I pray that you do that today. Help us to be a people of hope. Help us to look to you for all hope. We ask it in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let me give you a little context for this scripture. We're going to go pretty quickly. We have a lot to cover. Um, Anytime I pull a text out, I want to give you a little bit. Basically, Romans Romans is amazing. We may preach this book sometime. Uh, But basically, to get to this chapter 15, in this whole book of Romans, Paul outlines through chapters 1 through 11, basically some profound theology. He begins to talk about being condemned before the Lord, but, it's, it, but his good gracious that he's made us a, a, a hope for us in Christ Jesus. He talks about promises given through Abraham. In chapter 5, he talks about justification and being redeemed in Jesus. Chapter 6 and 7, sanctification, about God shaping and molding us. In chapter 8, about life in the spirit and a future glory. And then chapter 12, he turns and talks about these truths. They're not just ideas to be believed, but us in, as followers of Christ are to be practiced and lived and then he goes through chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, that's today, 16. He's going to close this letter with these remarks, he's, he's, he, this profound theology of hope and redemption. And what he's doing here, he, I'm going to focus on 9 through 13, but 5 through 8 is, is really amazing. If you've been with us for the last, this last series I did on relationships, it's, it's profound that Paul is going to talk about relationships yet again. Over and over. I said it last week, and I don't want to be a liar up here. Almost every book in Scripture, almost all places that it... God gives us uh, basically instructions on how to do life, how to do life with one another. So let's walk through this together, 5 through 8, and then we're going to get to the meat of the text in 9 through 13. Paul says this, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude and mind towards others or towards each other that Christ had, so that with one mind and one voice that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another. Then just as Christ has accepted you to bring praise to him, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs may be confirmed. Now, now let, me, let me unpack what's taking place here, that Jesus came to be a servant for both the Jews and the Gentiles. But at the same time, Christ came for, for all men. And God is, again, he's, he's, he's repeatedly concerned with how we treat each other. He says, accept one another in order to bring praise for him with one voice, in one mind, and these promises that Paul is talking about, these promises, these covenants, I'm trying to lose my voice here, that they were made to the patriarchs of the Jewish nation. And if you're thinking, well, David, I don't, that, that's great, but what does it have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. For us, as Gentile, non-Jewish followers of Jesus, that people did not come from Jewish lineage, lineage excuse me, that we as Gentile believers, we are ushered into mercy and grace and salvation through the Messiah that has come. And this is alone, it is this catalyst for where we find any resemblance of hope. 
And so it goes back to how we treat each other, how we do life together. But then we get in verse 9. This is where we're going to spend some time. Verse 9 through 13. Look what he says. And moreover, that the Gentiles, that's us, those who are of non-Jewish lineage, might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. Verse 11. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, this is from our text during our Advent reading, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with this hope by the power of the Spirit. Paul really, really, and I repeat, really wants us to understand this. Now, I'm going to hang here for just a minute. You, I want you to look at your Bibles. You're going to see a lot of quotation marks. There's a reason for that. Paul quotes from four Old Testament passages that he's taking them from three, three different places. Sorry. The Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms. He really wants the reader, he really wants us to understand from the old and the new that there is hope that's coming in this Messiah. At the end of verse 9, look at your text. He says, At is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. He quotes Psalm 18, 49, and even in 2 Samuel. David the psalmist, he praises God for everything that God has done to deliver. He's delivered from enemies. He's delivered him for all those that have tried to kill him. And he wants these people to praise God just as he did. Verse 10 says this. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with the people. What Paul does is Paul quotes, he pulls from Deuteronomy chapter 32. Now, there's a lot here. Let me just hang out here. I'm just going to kind of geek out in this for just a second. This Deuteronomy text is called the Song of Moses, where Moses poetically recites a brief history of Israel, and he reminds the people of their mistakes, and he warns them not to repeat them, but then he offers hope that's going to come by trusting God. Paul wants them to understand that. So he quotes this, and, and just imagine, if you will, if you're from the Jewish background, of Jewish heritage, and all of a sudden these Old Testament texts are, are being basically told to you coming in this Messiah that maybe you don't really believe in. They, see, Jewish people, they believe that the Messiah has not come yet. They still think he's coming, and it's not Jesus. So here, Paul masterfully is pulling these Old Testament texts to solidify and help the people in this church in Rome understand that the Messiah has come. He's got a name, and his name is Jesus. He is the only hope. And look at verse 11. Look at the quotes. He says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people extol him. Here Paul quotes Psalm 117. If you've got a study Bible, this will all be in your notes. You'll see it. The psalmist calls the Gentiles to praise God. And it's this stunning revelation where the, for the Jews to hear from their own scriptures about God's mercy and his grace. And last but not least, look at verse 12. We're going to spend a little time right here. Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 11. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who arises to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. You see, this, this Hebrew word root, it, it's sheresh, which basically, it, it's something that remains alive that's been cut back. It's a shoot or a branch that's come up. And, and what, what Paul is saying, and he's pulling from this Old Testament, is that the scriptures are telling us that from the root, from the, the branch, from the, this, this lineage of, uh, of Jesse, a root will come. Now, it's kind of confusing. He uses this root of Jesse to explain the promises of the Messianic kingdom. That from the line of David, from the line of Jesse, from all this, that the Messiah is going to come. 
Paul specifically, as we look to hope, as we get into this Advent season, Paul specifically acknowledges that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the root of Jesse, from whom the Gentiles put all of their hope. And if that's not enough, I have it on the screen for you in Revelation chapter 22. Jesus, as John records, Jesus wants to make it crystal clear. Jesus says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bride and morning star. It's profound. Now, sometimes we get into the season and we wonder, like, what is the root of Jesse? What is this? What are we looking at here? And I know it's a lot of history and maybe that bores you, but I just, I don't, I don't want to bore you. I just want you to understand when you look at this, and if you're in, if you're in the context of the scripture and you're being told all this, and these Old Testament scriptures are being told to you about the, the Messiah that's going to come, for them, he hasn't come. And Paul is wanting them to understand in the New Testament church, he's saying, hey, this is Jesus. It's him. He alone is the hope that we can have. In this root of Jesse, God has promised through the line of David, he is indeed the Messiah. He is the bright and morning star. And in the book of Acts, I want you to see this as well. Acts chapter 13. After removing Saul, he, he made David the king. And we can see this historical thing, narrative play out. Verse 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse. We talked about that a while ago. A man after my own heart. He will do everything, everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, comma, as he promised. I did a series, it's probably six years ago, it was called Christmas Promises or something, like how, it's profound. If you, want, if, you, if you want to study something over this next season that just kind of blow your mind, the promises of God, all the promises that God has given through the Old Testament that have come through, come to fruition in Jesus. It's mind-blowing. But God makes promises and God keeps them. God keeps them. But look at verse 12. There's something I want you to pull out here when he says, again, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations. In him, underline that, in him the Gentiles will hope. Jesus, the Messiah, the Holy One, the anointed, and all the names we could come up with, it is on him that we can bank our hope. Not yourself, not your intelligence, not your bank account, not your health, not your job, not your politics, not your government, not your reputation, not your last name, not when the problems and pain are gone. Hope is found in Jesus Christ. Now, we amen that, and we can be careful with that, but the problem is, just like Paul Tripp said, we are very, very leery, or I'm very leery of, of, of banking on that because I will put my hope in circumstances. If I'm honest, sometimes I just feel better when my kids aren't sick. Sometimes I just wonder, God, are you going to do this? Or God, are you going to do this? And we've all been there. Some of you got stuff going on in your life that you want to be hopeful, but you can't because you're waiting on something to follow through, something to, to come around, something to get better. But you know what biblical hope is? This is hard. And I, it's hard. It's kind of profound. And I don't really, if I'm honest, I, have, I, I wrestle with it. Hope is not based upon whether things get better or not. It's not. Hope is not based biblically on when the outcome is going to work out. Again, hope is found in a person, Jesus Christ. And so when the sick don't get better, we can find hope. When the money's not there, when the job's not there, when, the, when life gets too chaotic and we feel like we're just being frayed, we put our hope in something that does not change, and that's in Him. 
And if you're like me, maybe you're not, but if you're like me and sometimes you want to bank and you and Jesus and God are good as long as things are good, I want you to lean into this. Because what Paul is telling them, at the most basic yet powerful level, he wants them to understand that it is in Christ alone that we will find hope. I don't know if anybody needs to hear that, but I need to hear that today. Or be reminded of this truth. That when we assess, as Tripp says, when we assess life, sometimes we don't put our hope and our stock in Christ. We put it in other things. When those things are good, us and Jesus are good. But hope has come. Jesus came, he lived, he loved, he sacrificed, he rose from the dead, and he's granted us in turn an eternal hope. And as we get to verse 13, it's almost as if, I put it in my notes here because I almost miss it. It's almost as if Paul steps back, takes a deep breath, and he's going to close this whole thing out. And I want 13 to maybe be a, a verse for you for the, for the next couple of weeks. Look at what he says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there is so much in this verse. Our hope, as I said, it's not based on probabilities, but it is based on promises. Paul says, may the God of hope, the one who authors it, the one who sourced it, the origin of hope. What does he want him to do? He says, I want him to fill you up. Picture, if you will, if I was prepared, I would probably have a, a, a jar of water with the ping pong balls in it. And, you know, you put, you put the water in and all the, it fills up, all the ping pong balls fall out. You've probably seen or done that. I just gave you a visual. I just saved time. There you go. But I think about those. What he, he's not talking about, I want the God of all hope to be part of your life, to squeeze it, to compartmentalize that, do your thing, and then squeeze. No, he says, I want him to fill you up. Do you know what happens when something is filled to the brim, if you will, or the rim, whatever you call it? There is no room for nothing else. He said, I want the God of all hope to fill you, to be all-encompassing, overwhelming, to be so much, let me just say it this way, that he will be sufficiently enough for you. But it begs the question, because it does to me, and it convicts me, because I don't think I can say yes and amen all the time. Are you filled with all hope in Jesus? Is, is he enough? Is he sufficient? Do you bank your hope on him? What he's talking about is, it's not an outward veneer. He's talking about a, a satisfaction of the soul. Well, you can say, he's my God. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. When we baptize people, when we do that, when we, just, we baptize the girls today, that we're saying, I'm going to follow Christ. I said it repeatedly. I told the girls, I said, this is the beginning I wish we'd do baptisms and people come down and say, hey, you know what? Everything's going to work out exactly the way you want it. It's going to be awesome. Following Jesus, is, it's a cakewalk. You know what Jesus promises you? No problems or no trouble. That's what hope is. That's not true. I wish I could say that, but it's not true. But I've seen it. I've seen it in people, in some of the, even in this room, the testimonies of life where people have gone through unimaginable things, known or unknown, but they hold to their faith. Their soul, some weird, supernatural way, their soul is still satisfied 
as if to preach a testimony, say, yeah, he's still enough. He's still enough. Hope. My prayer today is that hope in Christ, full hope, filled to the brim hope, will push all the contrary emotions to the margin. Any discouragement? Now hear this. Any depression, any fear, any anxiety, any grumbling, any bitterness? Hope does not coexist with those things. That's why Paul says, I want you to be abounding and overflowing with this hope. It pushes everything to the margin. Now, now, now hear me. I'm not saying that things that we go through are hard. I don't want anybody to say, well, David, I'm going through a lot of stuff. That's great. I can't just push it. I'm not, I'm not trying to negate or make light of things. But I don't know if this, this may shock you, but this time of season we're about to come on, it's, 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 so for some it's the most depressing time of year. You would think it's the, the brightest and the light of Jesus. But then this next month of December, for some, it's the darkest, most lonely time of year. And the world and people are searching for hope. They're searching for something. And I don't want to negate any true anxieties, true fears, through anything, pain, or anything you're going through. I'm not trying to negate those. What I'm saying is that the prayer today, as Paul says, may he fill you. And picture him filling you with all hope in Christ. And it doesn't negate those, but it pushes them to the margins a little bit. We can say, he's enough. He's sufficient. The Messiah has come. And I'm looking to eternal light wherever he will come again. Praise God, church, that this world is not all there is. There's sometimes when I'm thinking, Jesus, can you come back today? But he will come. At the end of verse 13, as we kind of get ready to, to, to wrap this thing up, I want you to see something that I almost miss a lot in verse 13. I don't want you to miss this. Look at verse 13 again. I'm going to read it one more time at the end of it. I want you to catch it. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace. Ready for this? Underline this. As you trust in him. Comma. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. Rhetorically speaking, what does it mean to trust the Lord? What does it mean to trust people? You got people in your life you can trust? Do you trust the Lord? The Apostle Paul was telling the church in Rome that as you believe, it means you placed your, your love and your trust, your confidence, your faith in the one who has and will redeem and reconcile you. By the blood of Jesus, the one that has come, as we celebrate Christmas, the Messiah that has come, that was born of a virgin, that came to this earth, lived a perfect life, to die our death so that we don't have to pay that debt. That's what we celebrate. That's what I talked to the girls about for baptism. It's like, hey, the, the debt has been paid. What you deserve, God has done it. He promised to come. He promised to do that, and he's coming to fulfill all of these things, and he's going to come back again. The tough question of the day as we talk about hope, do you, do you trust Him? In case anybody's thinking, well, yeah, Pastor, I, I, no, I never don't trust God. Let me just tell you, I don't always trust the Lord. Is that, is that okay to say up here? Is that okay to be fair and honest? I can't be up here if I can take, because you know what? If I trusted Him all the time, I wouldn't bank on other things to give me hope. Every time I think of, man, if this will just come through, if this situation will just get better, what I do is I take my affection off of God. He is, you're not enough. You're not sufficient. I need this to work out, and then you'll be my all hope. I'm not filled with all hope. I'm not. 
And if that, if that resonates with you, then, then let's, let's walk through this together. The prayer is not to pretend, it's to say, God, I, I'm, I'm doing just what Paul Tripp says. I'm, I'm, I'm making things selfish. I'm making things about me. I'm banking all of my hope as long as things work out the way that I want them to work out. And maybe today, it would be an honest declaration to say, God, I'm struggling. I don't know if I trust you. I don't. Do you know what I believe that God would respond to that? David, now we can get somewhere. Now we can, no more games, no more church games, no more less like kumbaya. I don't, I don't know what that means. But no more like we're going to celebrate Christmas and Advent. Now, hey, we're starting this whole season of Advent celebrating. Now we can get somewhere. You don't trust me. Now let's get to the why. Because you're not going to find hope until you get to the why. Well, God, I, I just want things to work out the way I want them. That's right. Life's not about you, David. Because when you were a nine-year-old boy, what you did is you got up on stage and you did in Denver City, Texas. You gave your life to Jesus and somebody told you your life is not about you anymore. It's about Jesus. It's about pointing to him. So if there's anybody in this room that, that you follow Christ, but maybe the wheels come off of hope, you get a little inward selfish, and just like I do, that you bank on hope as long as things work out, then maybe we start there. God, I'm just struggling to trust you. Paul says this, as you trust him, comma, then you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus came. The Word made flesh, dwelt among us. That's the good news. As we celebrate this, I just want you to think about this. Is he your hope? Because I'm going to ask you two questions. Have you trusted him for salvation and hope to be secure? But it doesn't stop there. I'm going to ask you this. Are you continually trusting him today, tomorrow, the next day? I don't have to give you a, a, a litany of things that could happen that could rob you of hope. I think those are pretty, I think everybody could have their own. I don't have to give you an illustration for that. Here we are. The first Sunday of Advent, in between the first coming and waiting for the second. And as we do the, the amazing, light the candle and do all of these things to celebrate, I want you to wrestle and just ask yourself the question, do you trust him? Do you know him? And if not, start there. And then maybe the cry of your heart could be this, God, I don't trust you. You know what I trusted? I trust when things work out. But I'm asking you this morning, if this is your desire, to fill me up. I need, I need to be filled by you and push all that to the margins. And I don't manufacture this because did you see what he said at the end of it, in, in verse 13? It doesn't say, hey, you overflow with hope by the power of your effort, by the power of church attendance, by the power of your quiet times, by the power of doing more good than bad, by the power of being spiritual. No, what does he say? But whose, whose power is this? The Holy Spirit. Tension between the two advents. May the God of hope fill us. I'll close with this quote. It's so good. I may have shared this last year. I don't remember, but it's too good not to. And it's always a great thing for me. Um, but an author, Jan Richardson, writes this. And I want you to remember this when I talk about how busy life can get. The season of Advent means that there's something on the horizon, on the likes of which we've never seen before. What is possible is not to see it to miss it, to turn just as it brushes past you. 
And you begin to grasp what it was that you missed, like Moses in the cleft of the rock, watching God's back, if you will, fade into the distance. Listen to what she says. So stay. Sit. Linger. Tarry. Ponder. Wait. Behold. And even wonder. There will be enough time for running, for rushing, for worrying, for pushing, but for now. Wait. There's something on the horizon. Before we pray, this is the desire of my heart today. I, I believe and know that life's going to get pretty busy. And my fear is that we'll miss it. In the haste of life, we'll miss it. We'll do, we'll do spiritual things, we'll do religious things, but deep in the recesses of our being, hope will be void, hope will be absent. We will be people that claim one thing, but step into this and we bank on other things to come through for us. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads where you're at for just a minute. I just want you to pray, and we're going to sing our last song, but maybe God's speaking to you on different levels. Maybe, maybe you're just wrestling with trusting Him right now. It may be like I said a while ago, the honest part of your heart to say, God, I, I just don't. Have a hard time with it. And start there. Maybe for some, you've already felt the rush of life, and you've got a bazillion things to do this afternoon and tomorrow and the next day and this and that. Your calendar's full, and you're so stressed about things, you can't even, even begin to enjoy who God is. Wherever you're at, if your desire is that he fills you, ask him. Claim verse 13. May he fill you by the power of his Holy Spirit. You pray, and we're going to stand and sing. Would you stand as I pray, please? Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you that you came. We thank you that you, you died our death and you rose from the dead. You conquered death to secure an eternal hope for us. And as we sing about that, I pray that we will just find peace and hope and security there. I pray for the, the ones in the room that are just discouraged. Maybe they're banking on other things to give them hope. Um, I pray that we would truly be filled with you. So bless this time of this response. Uh, we ask all this in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Let's